Good afternoon. Tuesday's uh, typically our busiest day, and today was was uh, no different. We should have everybody in. Um, I do want to begin with condolences. Obviously, just absolutely stunned on Saturday evening. Get a note about uh, Rod Bramlett and his wife being in a car wreck, um, and you know. Just to learn later that a guy that I had just been laughing with on Wednesday evening uh, after Auburn's game about a video celebrating his 25th anniversary uh, broadcasting Auburn game uh, was lost. And then I one time sat on a plane by Bart Starr, who was like the nicest person um, that you could have imagined. You know, you don't want to meet your heroes, they say sometimes, but Bart was a hero that one should have met. And then I had the, the privilege of hosting him around one of our legend celebrations for a weekend at the SEC championship game. This was in pre-commissioner days. And I remember vividly, I walked him into our dinner. We, we needed to be at our dinner at a certain time. And we walked past a bunch of people who wanted autographs. We got inside and he looked at me and said, I feel horrible. Will you please go out and bring those people in so I can sign the autographs for them? And just an a, a, a incredibly decent human being who obviously... Uh, had a personal and football legacy, and so we we send our, our condolences um, for both losses um, to our universities and to their immediate families. Uh, yesterday, we were really pleased to have 10 teams selected in the NCAA tournament and baseball, the most uh, of any conference. Uh, I'm never satisfied, thought 11 was a number that we could access. Missouri had a fine season. Uh, but was not selected, was uh, in that first four-out category. It's postseason time, two teams in the Women's College World Series in Alabama, Florida. I referenced two teams, actually played each other earlier, uh, Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, and match play championship. And um, I, I talk about baseball first. It's a reminder that our conference sponsored a proposal to change the volunteer assistant coaches in baseball and softball from that volunteer position into full-time roles. And it went into the Division I governance cycle to the council, and we were disappointed when in late April that was not approved and adopted to make that transition possible. Um, I've said this before. I'm going to reiterate it today. It's time and, and really past time for those positions to move, given what's happening, particularly in our conference, but I think nationally in those two sports, from a support standpoint, the nature and the skills for both sports, offense, defense, hitting, pitching, a catcher, um, educating a catcher about how to play infield, outfield, recruiting, player development, all of that justifies the change that we proposed. The uh, opposition, those who opposed, said things like, we were surprised softball was included in the proposal. I think it's really important that I'm clear from day one on that issue, softball and baseball were part of the legislative proposal. There was no surprise. The second thing offered was it was not the right time to make this change. So not opposition, not that those positions aren't needed, but it wasn't time to make that change now. And then there was a reference that was shared with me about player-coach ratio, particularly in softball, which makes you wonder who's evaluating the player-coach ratio in some other sports if that's really the justification. And at a time when we have untold analysts, interns, player personnel directors, I wrote them down so I'd get them all, player development directors, operations directors, and assistant operation directors, again, it's time that we make this change, and we want to see that change happen 
in as timely a fashion as possible to support the young people around our baseball and softball programs. Uh, last night uh, continued a tradition for me starting this week. One of these years I'm just going to figure out where everybody's stuff needs to be placed so I can keep my notes straight. Um, it's become a tradition for me to begin with a dinner involving our student-athlete leaders. We have student-athlete leadership councils in football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. We initiated those groups in 2015-2016 in addition to our all-sports student-athlete advisory committee. I'm just going to introduce you to their names, and if you want to speak with any of these student-athletes, we ask you visit with their communications directors, uh, Blake Ferguson, who plays football at LSU, Jake Gibbons, a, a swimmer from Texas A&M, uh, Brian Tyree, Brian has been with us before, as has Blake, Brian played basketball at Ole Miss, uh, call him Momo Sanogo from football, the football team at Ole Miss, uh, Jalen Richard Harris from LSU in women's basketball, and Jalen Mason from Arkansas, also in women's basketball. These individuals are elected by their peers to serve, and we involve them in meetings where their athletics directors, uh, our faculty athletics representatives, senior women administrators, they get some time on their own to talk about policy issues and with our presidents and chancellors as well, as well and provide important, to, uh, important input to us and have a pretty busy week. So again, if you want to visit with any of them and would, would uh, take the time to contact their communications directors, that would be appreciated. <clears throat> uh, replaying the tape, some other comments. At my press conference before the SEC championship game back in December, uh, I talked about football officiating. I indicated that the reality is the vast, vast, vast majority of the time our officials on the field are correct, but I indicated that we take a deep dive into our football officiating program. That's included an external review. I did this, which is a little bit different than, than another situation. I did it not because something's broken. Uh, in fact, I think the confidence as reflected in the report that was, was reviewed today is very high, but I want us to be better. Uh, the sport officiating environment is evolving. Um, there's a, an article focused on the communications aspect, so starting last September, and again, I said this in December, we began working in our office trying to think about how do we communicate about officiating. Uh, started in football, how do we answer questions, how do we provide responses. Um, that is a maturing process, one that we continue uh, to discuss, but we also invited uh, or we engaged Deloitte's advisory practice and risk and financial advisory to conduct an analysis of our football officiating program in order to identify best practices and program standards for that program. Uh, specifically what I wanted up front was a series of stakeholder interviews so that involved all of our head football coaches, all of our athletics directors. Uh, we engaged officials in that interview process and uh, um, I'll say, if you will, additional uh, members of the public, former coaches, former student-athletes. Uh, second aspect was to perform uh, some analytics work, look at the information we have, what trends do we learn, what trends do we need to learn more about, and what might that mean from an analytics standpoint for us moving forward. And then go out well beyond football even, and even internationally, to look at standards and practices around officiating programs so we could inform ourselves about the best practices and see do we conform with these, do we exceed 
where others do, or do we need to uh, adapt and adjust? Um, I think fundamentally we learn that there um, is high confidence in our program. We've verified our view that we have honorable people involved as football officials. We've invited some of you to work with them during spring games. We just had our third consecutive spring game where we invited media to be a part of the officiating process to meet and learn from both our coordinator Steve Shaw and from our officials on the field. Um, some of the outcomes that we're thinking about is the addition of a sideline replay opportunity. Some other conferences have done that. I want to be clear that we think the centralized collaborative process works best, and this is an additive piece uh, to what we do. It allows uh, better communication, we think, on the field uh, between the referee uh, and the coaches and allows for that input. Remember, it's a collaborative process ultimately determined in the in the replay booth within the stadium. We also learned that there's some things we do that we don't communicate, and we've not been intentionally avoiding communication, things like a conflict of interest policy, what we do from a year-long standpoint to make sure our officials are ready when the season begins, even within the season, what our game week looks like from an officiating standpoint. And between now and the, the start of the season, we'll make uh, efforts to just make that public so people can see all that goes in along with other elements of our football officiating program. Um, we're recommending an addition of an August on-campus clinic between our officiating crews and our football coaches while they're actually in, in preseason uh, practice. Allows for even more communication uh, around rule changes, how the game's officiated, perhaps learning from coaches and also uh, learning through our individual officials also gets them more into a routine that will be upon them during the season. I think uh, finally, uh, of anything that has become apparent to me was a quote that uh, probably our campuses have better analytics than we have in the conference office. If you go back about five years ago, one of the points of feedback from our baseball coaches is they had better video for evaluation and understanding of what's taking place than we had in the conference office. I think we've certainly caught up and uh, we'll continue with that work beginning with this analytics portion much like you saw in video. Um, some other topics this week, or let me just say this, uh, I want to be clear about officiating. I have great appreciation for the people who officiate. Um, and I've actually shared this with our football coaches in a meeting in February. I remind both our women's basketball coaches today and our men's basketball coaches uh, of the importance for uh, around officiating. Uh, they're high-integrity individuals who bring an incredible commitment given what's upon them. Our focus is we want to continue to improve. I don't want us to be complacent, and I want us to... Uh, make certain that we continue to be the leading college football officiating program and recognized as such. Uh, some other things for conversation this week. Uh, we invited Dr. Alan Sills in today. He visited with a combined group of our athletics directors and head football coaches and then individually with the, the group of head football coaches. Uh, Dr. Sills is the NFL's chief medical officer. It's an opportunity for us to learn as a conference about uh, their uh, analytics, their look at uh, the information that's being produced from their injury reporting system and how they're making decisions around the game to make the game safer. Uh, we also have invited retired Major General Bill Rapp in. Uh, General Rapp 
He's a former commandant of the U.S. Army War College, had a 30-plus year career as a Ph.D. in political science from Stanford. Uh, we invited him to our athletics director's meeting last August to talk about moving into leadership positions the higher you go, the ethical challenge that are present, and our athletics directors recommended directly to me that we involve uh, General Rapp in visits with each of our coaches groups here um, as we continue to talk about integrity and try to overcome some of those integrity challenges. Um, we are nearing the completion of our future bowl agreements. I think you're probably all aware that the 19 season represents the conclusion of our first six-year cycle under this CFP timing, and we're prepared uh, to, to uh, introduce uh, soon our new bowl lineup. Uh, we have some NCA issues, name, image, and likeness working group. Uh, that's new, so I'm learning as you are. I read the documents. We will have uh, already a couple of people named Georgia President Jerry Moorhead to serve on that group and Don Bruce, who's the faculty representative at the University of Tennessee. Um, sports gambling and availability reports is uh, a topic for conversation as well and trying to both develop our feedback into an NCA working group. Uh, we've done some of that preliminarily, uh, but we'll review um, the position generated by staff with our membership. Uh, John Duncan, the NCA's Vice President for Enforcement, will be here later this week with our Presidents and Chancellors to learn what happens next around men's basketball. Um, some of you have speculated about alcohol sales and where that may be in consumption at athletic events. Um, and so that's a, a, a conversation we have had in different ways over the years. Uh, I question whether you're actually guessing or you just have this annual list you go down. So <laughs> conference alignment, alcohol sales, it's like low-hanging fruit. We just make it, we make it easy, don't we? Um, so that's, um, that's where we are. As again, again I, I said it's a busy week. There's plenty of uh, other activities and discussions taking place. But uh, after that uh, stream of consciousness, I'll see what might be on your mind. The officiating review sounds proactive. I think that's what you make more sense. Is Deloitte done anything like this? Um, we, we actually initially communicated with their world sports group, and I did that because of, um, you're going to have to forgive me, Byron, uh, who's a vice president with the NCAA, NBA for competition. Um, they also had uh, a member of their organization go into the WNBA, so some familiarity with sports. We work with their uh, risk and financial advisory staff, so it is a little bit different role, but they have experience in the sports world. One of the challenges is, I think the Pac-12 has identified a group that's worked with the NFL previously, but I thought a fresh look, because it was proactive, was, was, was helpful. In relation to that, what was the conference's reaction to the, to the social media reaction to the Devin White situation and then, then the seven-overtime game? Um, because it's kind of out of control for any conference when those kind of things happen. <coughs> yeah, social media is a different construct that applies to this right. discussion of communication. So maybe take the last first. You saw uh, Steve Shaw involved in an interview uh, with the Baton Rouge paper explaining each of a set of calls that came into question, uh, all of which were accurate calls. Um, and so that interview is a novel approach for us and occurred, I think, on Tuesday after the game. Uh, obviously, in the social media world, things take flight. Back to Devin White, we issued a statement that evening. Uh, you recall that that call was confirmed. 
Um, and we issued a statement that it was called correctly under the rule at the time. I guess just the, I guess the frustration with your officials' uh, integrity being called out in, in real time by the ether. I think one of the realities we've learned even through this review is is perception can be reality. So part of this communication effort is, um, are we going to change everyone's perception? Um, I don't think so, but I think we can make progress communicating about the individuals, about the high integrity of the people involved. We actually have eight of our football referees who will be here visiting with our football coaches in a moderated panel because we think that's part of the uh, understanding that needs to develop, we can have a they can have a conversation about what's perceived or or what their duties are as referees. Our head coaches can talk about what they perceive. Um, maybe we can develop some more effective on-field communication strategies, and that's an outcome of our learning process over the last six months. It's different from the social media world, but it's an acknowledgement that we have to keep uh, maturing and can't be complacent in our, any of our officiating programs. Ray, what, what, was the, what was the measuring stick that they used? Did they go back and look at calls and confirm them? Or what, did, what did they use as a yard marker to determine <coughs> How well the game was. Yeah, so again, there, there's three points. One is, is a perception. So that's a stakeholder interview uh, process, Tony, to ask uh, what are your experiences, what are your views. It was supportive, yet we also learned that we can provide additional information to even help our internal folks understand what our view, review process is, what, what a Monday looks like, and when they might hear from us uh, on certain issues. That, that's one. Two is an analysis because we have... Uh, between our uh, game evaluators, our film graders, and our position specialists, about 20 different individuals who touch our evaluation process during the season and postseason. Uh, personally, I sat in a two-day session of all of those folks as they went through literally official by official and grade by grade. Um, and so they looked to see were there any trends from a, an analytic, stem, analytic standpoint. I think the number quoted was 1,700 different statistical tests to see if there are any trends that were troubling. Like my summary is what was reported to us is no. I'll dig in a little bit deeper to understand. But um, there was a report, I think, out of uh, Ohio University a few years ago that of all the officials that were compared in this particular research study, you can probably Google it. I think it was in the, the Sloan Analytics Conference too, um, that we had the, the least amount of bias associated with our officiating, whether that's home away or or um, the strength of the team. Um, so that's one that I can reference from, from past, but the work was to use our information and see what trends might, might be there. And then the, the third part, um, I'm sorry. The, the, yeah, the, the third part, which um, I just, like, spaced on. Um, so as analytics, stakeholder interviews, and then kind of the best practices, learn what's out there that might help, us, help inform us of better decisions. Sloan said that? What year was that? I think that was in a 20... I don't know. We'd have to go back and look because I saw it in the bibliography. Oh, so it wasn't recent. That, to me, that would be the second paragraph of the story. No, the, I probably should just stick with the Ohio University research report. I'm looking around to see if anybody can help me with that. Talk about the idea of being... I'll go to my bibliography. How's that? Talk about the idea of being more transparent. I think it's, it wasn't your event, but the, the Auburn-Virginia final four game was one where we talked about it would be nice to be able to ask a couple questions of either the officiating crew or, or the national director officials or the guy or whoever was there uh, just to get clarification 
Um, is that something with transparency on a more weekly basis or something like that that yeah. Is that doable? Uh, well, I'm going to use a, maybe a, a different word than transparency because I, I, I well, don't. I think, but like, but see, just communicating yeah. and yeah. actually explaining so what what's occurring. Right. To the coaches every week, where when they ask, "Hey, can you review these?" and he'll send the audio. Here's what we saw on this play. Here were the mechanics and all that. Is it? Uh, I, I know it's probably asking too much to get that, but yes. for <laughs> exactly <laughs> but for controversial calls, it, it would be nice you know, yeah. maybe Monday or Tuesday if you say. Okay, here's what we saw. A couple observations. I think we can engage better on game day. Yeah. And we're not going to explain every call. Right. But are there ways and are there resources where you can learn kind of where the heat is around a certain opportunity or correct something that may be said uh, around one of our games? You think one of the problems we deal with is observations that may not be correct, and we can engage more quickly to correct those observations. Um, I don't know that we're ready to go into this pool reporter, uh, but I, I do think the opportunity for us to explain and contextualize both in real time. And then we have a network, so we're considering at some point during the week, uh, might we engage Steve in explaining how a play or how a game is officiated? I, I, uh, th those are, yeah. are squarely on the communications consideration, and in fact, part of uh, the conversation today, as I understand it, with our communications directors is, hey, here's our set of ideas. Are there any more? So this is uh, this is clearly a work in progress. I, I'm, not, I'm not asking for being able to talk to the white hat after the game because I'm not sure that's all that great either. Yeah, well, you saw after the Rams-Saints game, I think, the, the comment when they asked the, the referee. He, didn't, he wasn't watching that play. So mechanically... You know, you're going to be asking questions of someone who may not have that game assigned. I, I, I mean, Steve, after there's been some time to breathe and look at it. Yeah. Greg, where do you stand on the NIL? Yeah. The NIL. Maybe it's like and, and what are the major stumbling blocks that you see about? How about that? I keep asking. I keep waiting for you to ask me a small question. Right? <laughs> I appreciate that it was brief. Um, my stance really hasn't changed um, on that issue from when I testified in the O'Bannon case, uh, that I think uh, and believe that the, the, the funding, the financial support provided to a student-athlete is appropriately tied to their educational pursuits and their competitive endeavors. So there's a period on that sentence. Um, we're now in, in a space where the NCA has... Uh, the Board of Governors has appointed a working group to look more closely, given what's happening um, in the legal environment, but more importantly, I think at the federal and state level legislatively. Uh, I view that, given these circumstances, as appropriate without predicting the outcome. Well, I think that's part of what this working group's responsibility is to identify. You know, you've got a, a, a model of a philosophical commitment that I think is ingrained and has been beneficial. And so part of the responsibility, as I view the charge of that working group, is to work through those hurdles, be they large or small. I don't. I don't think college basketball today is trending in a different direction than perhaps a year ago. Um, it seems to me, when the arrests were made in what September of seventeen, 
there is an expectation um, of some specific change, I guess, but uh, we have a commission that has done certain things. So, Cecil, keep in mind, we've got camps coming online involving the NCA. Those won't happen until this summer. So some of this is implementation. Uh, in February, the uh, expectations around interview, as I recall, went into effect. Um, there is an identification of how this new uh, kind of off-ramp process for independent investigations and an independent hearing panel will work, but nothing's been presented, I think in part because of the timing, at least around the basketball issues, the timing of the court cases being complete. So those are, I mean, those are open-ended questions, and the fact we're still here with nobody to point to a specific circumstance raises your observation, which is, has anything changed? It is changing, I think, would be the more of the headline, but we're not at that destination at the time. And then just to follow up on the other cases themselves, uh, and, and acknowledging that there is change, but our my view is to answer your question this way one the more timely that this plays out the better for providing the lessons and guidance uh, the further that you know justice delayed is justice denied I think is the phrase so the longer it takes, um, the, and the more you get away, the more people's memory is forgotten. So that is an appropriately raised concern. And while I've said, whether publicly or privately, the sooner we go to completion on these issues, I think that's better for the system. Greg, does the SEC, I can't remember, have a, have a stance on player availability in the sports game? That's part of our work. I, I, generally, if you go back to last media days, uh, I said I think at some point it's coming. Uh, but let's not just run down this road without a full understanding. So I don't feel any pressure to do this right now. Um, and that's our communication. And then the question is, can you actually do it in some effective way? And I think that's a very open-ended question. Does it have to be necessarily a national standard? I and mean, that's kind of the issue. Well, I think that's the issue that's been introduced. But fundamentally, you have to go back to, to ask and answer the question, what are you trying to achieve with availability reports? And, and what need are you meeting and when? And does it really relieve the information pressure? So if you have an availability report issued on a Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m., people want information on Wednesday at 2 p.m., on Tuesday, on Monday. And in fact, if it doesn't change until game time, they're looking for information on Friday. So I, I think this is, um, this is a challenge, and I'm not sure there's uh, a particularly clear answer right now. The, the simple answer is transparency, and you know, the NFL does it, what, two or three times a week, and you know, whether it changes or not it seems kind of a moot point when you've got coaches just fudging on you know, Tom Brady. That's a relevant observation. No matter how many times it's there a week. I'm not sure how many coaches are fudging on Tom Brady. Maybe perhaps no, one. Yeah. I don't study the NFL availability reports, though. Well, being yeah. in favor of communication, is there potential danger with talking too much about officiating yes. and people obsessing too much on calls? In fact, I think, in a way, that's almost been put upon us. So mm -hmm. part of our reality is, like, I didn't create instant replay 
it effectively was created for us by DVRs and HDTVs. Um, I didn't create people talking about officiating in broadcast booths, but it exists and it raises issues. Uh, again, I take the view that we have highly qualified, high integrity, committed people. And in a human endeavor where people are moving at the speeds they're moving, you're going to have errors. That, that is not an integrity issue. That may be a performance issue, may be a positioning issue. It may be, you know, the, the field of vision issue. Um, all of which raises the question that we're still struggling with, and that is how much do you communicate and how often? Uh, our job on a Saturday in our video center is to monitor officiating and be prepared for replays, not to respond to every tweet that arises. And that's why I reference the learning around, as you see reactions, uh, will that help inform us uh, about engaging in communication? Great. Getting back to the, uh, back to the third assistant, uh, when can that measure be brought back up for discussion and uh, assuming it is, are any kind of modifications that can be made to convince these other ADs or whoever's on that committee to go along with it this time around? I think the attention brought to the issue is helpful. That's why I've continued to talk about the matter. Um, as I understand the, the legislative process now, that specific legislation is supposed to wait two years, but perhaps there's more some there's some more creative opportunities to be explored between now and that, that two-year window. Greg, there's been a few more empty seats in the stadiums the past couple of years. You solve that with, I guess, better non-conference scheduling or uh, a revenue stream like alcohol sales. How do you, how do you kind of plug that gap? Yeah, I think you first have to understand exactly what's happening. So, are there games that just don't attract people? I think that's like the low-hanging fruit answer to the, to the question. You've seen uh, some of our programs announcing pretty aggressively this spring a little bit different scheduling philosophy, Ron. I think that's an acknowledgement of wanting to make sure people are attracted to our games, and that. Um, you know, those press releases don't even include what's happening on campus to bring people in for the weekend. Uh, is alcohol some magic solution for people not attending games? No. Is it an element um, for consideration that might attract some? Uh, probably so, but I don't see that as a panacea if, um, the, if, if we think that's going to stem the tide of people not attending games. It is a bad news. <laughs> Did any of the conversations with Dr. Sills that you know of revolve around Montel's decision to eliminate open drill and practice? No, we just asked him to highlight the, their decision making, and um, I think he talked about some of the recommendations. I, my expectation would be to include that. So you think that will be addressed this week? No, I think it's just, yeah, my, my reference to, to Dr. Sills was we asked him to just share the decision-making at the NFL level, and that would include whether it's helmets, cleats, some of the recommendations, uh, I think, on practice, which uh, I don't remember the Oklahoma drill being referenced, but may have been included. Follow-up on the attendance question. How big of a concern is it for you in the league, you know, the, the more empty seats that uh, stadiums are seen across the country? Yeah, I've um, spoken to that over any number of years, probably here and at other conference uh, meetings and events, that we've been in conversation about that uh, probably back to 2011, 2012, through fan engagement working groups. Um, when we meet, particularly around football, as a group of athletics directors, we talk about trends. 
And even my reference to analytics and trying to get a deeper dive into to data is not simply limited to officiating from my view. Now, how do we really understand what those trends are? I think our universities do a pretty good job of seeking to understand those realities. They have you know, ticket use numbers and, and can explain, but what can we bring contextually as a conference to that conversation? That's on my mind. Are you, are you mainly looking at drop counts when you're looking at, when you're looking at that? Yeah, I'm not looking at drop counts. Never have. So, so that's not, so that's not in, so the drop count number isn't in consideration when you're talking about attendance? No, I didn't say that. You asked me if I'm looking at drop counts. I said I'm not. Um, our schools know the ticket use patterns, and I think Dallas Morning News has reported on ticket use patterns, so I've read that article. <laughs> well, no, well that's, well, that's the question, though, is that when you're looking at the, the attendance you know, concerns, is it, are you looking at, are, are schools looking at it from the drop count number, or are they looking at it from the cell number? What's, what's, the, what's the primary number they're looking at when they're saying? I think the answer is yes to both. I think in, in any endeavor, you're going to look fully at what's happening around, um, in this circumstance, games, and that's both ticket purchases and tickets used. Didn't you kind of anticipate maybe a little drop in attendance when you decided to start televising every game and SEC network? Did you kind of kind of weigh that like the, the revenue we're going to bring to the network and maybe there might be some empty seats? How do we how do we kind of balance that? You have to go back though, and even before the network, every game was televised. We we simply allocated them differently. So we've made the shopping easier between CBS, ESPN's platform, and the network. But ten years ago, it was CBS. ESPN platforms, Jefferson Pilot, whatever iteration it might be, Lincoln Financial, Fox Sports South, or it may be a pay-per-view game. So do you think, if it's all basically the same TV stuff, do you think maybe the ticket prices have gotten too high for average fan to, I mean, to go to a game? I mean, just, they get more and more jacked up every year. I expect there is a, 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 probably a, a basket, I'll say, of factors. Um, culture changes a bit, um, games are on TV, uh, maybe nature of opponent, performance of a team. We could probably just sit here and grab a whiteboard and make a list of reasons that people might stay away. So our, our challenge is to make sure it remains compelling. I think we've, we've done that better than anyone, which is clear because our attendance has led the nation for, I think, the last 21 or 22 years. Greg, is the transfer portal playing out like you envisioned it would? Are there any tweaks that you think are necessary? Uh, and what about the waiver process? That's like one, two, three, rapid fire. <laughs> so the first one is the transfer portal playing out like I thought it would. And I didn't think specifically about the transfer portal. Um, I did think about, and, and I was public to say, go back two years and we had athletics departments, particularly coaches, controlling communication, destination, and financial aid if somebody transferred. That didn't seem appropriate. And so that was changed. The next step was this transfer portal um, uh, that, that I certainly didn't design. And so I've been more of an observer than, than a predictor. Um, I spoke uh, to the Associated Press sports editors of the Southeast back in mid-April, and my view is um, the transfer activity has changed, it seems to us. So we had a report about total numbers after the fall academic terms. Um, soon everyone will complete their, their spring or their winter and spring terms, and so we'll have another opportunity, it seems, to look at the numbers. And then the next part is 
what's happening on the other side of the portal, which sounds more like Star Wars than I intend. Um, Star Trek. Yeah, that's right, Star Trek, I'm sorry. You were at that meeting. Yeah. That shows you my... I use it as my lead. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for correcting me. Usually we collect, correct the journalists, but my quote was incorrect. It is Star Trek, and I referenced that previously. So on the other side of the portal, which sounds more like Star Trek than I intended, um, what's happening? You know, I read yesterday, I don't know if it's true or not, that a receiver who transferred from a Pac-12 school to a Big 12 school mm -hmm. wants to go back to the Pac-12 school. Um, that's right now our reality. Um, I read an article a couple weeks ago, don't know if it's true or not, that there are a whole lot of people in the portal who are learning there aren't scholarships and opportunities available. What happens to those young people is, is a question we should be asking. And then... Just from my service on a committee a long time ago, I know that, and this is a general, that when you transfer, your time to graduate is lengthened, and the percentage of people who graduate is diminished. Now, if you're a high performer academically, it's a small diminishment, and you go down the GPA scale. Last time I saw the numbers, it grew larger. So if we're having more people in this, they don't know where they're going to be, be heading. Uh, are we achieving educational outcomes, specifically progress towards degree and graduation that we desire. And I'm speaking from a league that uh, I will show 12 years ago had 25% of our membership either near or at the penalty line for APR programs. And this past month we had over 25% of all of our programs in the top 10% nationally. So we've made uh, great progress in this league academically and I don't want to see that diminish. That's why I think both within the Southeastern Conference and nationally, we need to be thinking about the impact of uh, some of this movement from an academic standpoint. Did I answer all three? Waivers? Well, I think that's a point of confusion to me. And as I, as I visit with our coaches, and young people watch waivers being granted, um, they don't know why. And so a piece of the conversation is I'm going in the portal uh, there'll be, uh, uh, I think, a candid conversation uh, about rules and policies. And at some point, well, I think I can get a waiver. And what, what I view is people should have kind of a, a level playing field, same information on which they can base decisions. Um, how that manifests itself, I don't have that answer right now, but I do think uh, that's a challenge. i also say on the other side of the portal, I've always been concerned, and we've talked for years in here about our own two-year policies. So we used to have a two-year eligibility transfer expectation. We modified it for graduates. But that impacts somebody who's likely been on that team for one, two, three years. And I think we also have to be concerned about student-athletes on a roster who have made a commitment as well. I understand where we are, but I think that's part of the big picture that has to be examined. Not today, because our, our schools have been responsive from a health care, from, from change. Um, even without some rules, they had lessened the number of two-a-days. They had provided more recovery time. It's still an intense activity. Um, so we're not there, but I, I felt it important to introduce to our coaches and athletics directors what's going on around, uh, what's going on in football around us. And, and that was the purpose today, was to, to start some of those conversations.